Justification by faith alone is under attack. The gospel is so profound yet simple. However, today, a subtle attack is being perpetrated by the enemy. The devil has devised a great deception in the churches across America. He has begun to divide us over gender, culture, and ethnicity. And at its core is a rejection of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must all stand against this distortion of the gospel. The Apostle Paul had brought the gospel to the Galatians many years ago. Paul, a devout Jew and Pharisee, had been redeemed from his church-persecuting, self-righteous, pharisaical system. He had been given the message that all that he had thought about his Jewish identity and his religious works were nothing but filthy rags, and that his self-righteousness had actually caused him to oppose the very God he said he was serving. Paul was a man who was dead in sin and yet blind to his horrific condition. All of this until the day when the Lord Jesus confronted Paul with his sin and his opposition to Jesus. As Paul sought to arrest and kill the believers in Jesus, it was here that God saved Paul. He showed Paul that he was a sinner, that Jesus had come to die to pay for his sin, and that Jesus had risen from the dead to give Paul life. Paul repented and believed in the Lord Jesus. And then God did something amazing. God himself took up residence in the soul of the previous persecutor. The Spirit of God indwelled the delivered sinner. The murderer became the saint. The persecutor became the apostle. The Jewish Pharisee became the humble slave of the Lord Jesus. Paul's identity changed. Saul became Paul. He went from a child of the wrath to a child of God. And he cried out, Abba, Father. Paul understood the hope of the gospel. He knew his salvation was not based on anything he had done. He knew he was not worthy of this great grace. In fact, he considered himself the foremost of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 But God had saved Paul. And this hope of the gospel motivated Paul to seek the lost. There was a twist. See, the Pharisee, who would have taken so much pride in his Jewishness previously, was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to bring this message of hope to people he would have previously considered the unclean and uncircumcised pagans. Paul, the Holy One, had realized he was not the Holy One by anything he had done or by his identity as a physical descendant of Abraham. He knew that God had saved him, not on the basis of his works or physical identity. Ephesians 2. God saves based on one thing. God's sovereign, gracious choice. Romans 9. God is the sovereign over his elect. And God, in his wonderful grace, 
had divinely chosen to save Paul, even though he was the least worthy of salvation on the entire planet. This grace was part of the reason Paul was the perfect one to take the gospel to the pagan Gentiles. They were the far-off people, but God was gracious to even the Gentiles. God in His grace had ordained for a people who were not His people to be called His people. 1 Peter 2. But they would become His people, not on the basis of their nationality, their gender, their race, or their self-righteous religious deeds. God was going to use Paul, the least of the saints, to save people who were furthest from God. Why? For God's glory alone. So the Apostle Paul set out to go to the nations. He went from city to city through areas that were full of pagan, God-hating people. It was there he sacrificially laid down his life consistently, day after day and night after night, offering hope to all people, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Spreading the good news that through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, a person could be saved and declared right with God. Sinners could become saints. Children of wrath could become adopted children of God. By God's grace, there were people in most of the cities Paul visited that were God's elect. God began to use Paul to plant churches with groups of believers in all these areas, Gentiles and Jewish people together, all believing in Jesus alone to save them. The churches included all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, males and females, slaves and masters, young and old, former murderers, former idolaters, former adulterers, and former homosexuals. God was delivering people from their bondage to sin. He was doing this by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But the enemy of God was not happy with this turn of events. He was losing his people that he ruled over. The enemy saw that Paul, who he had previously controlled, was now helping to deliver people from their bondage to sin. God was being glorified in the sinners who were repenting. What can I do, thought Satan. These people are not taking pride in themselves and their own accomplishments anymore. They are humbly serving the Lord in any and every role that God has ordained for them to serve. They are no longer fighting and bickering over their human identities. They are all unified with one mind and one voice. They all worship God together and seek to submit to the word of God alone not the worldly philosophical systems that I had hatched. They are exalting Jesus and him crucified, not themselves. Then the enemy hatched a plan. It was diabolical. It was so wicked, the demons shuddered. I will infiltrate the church with people who profess faith in Christ but are in fact opposed to God. I will have them because they are mine, not the elect of God. So I will use them to deceive the people of God. The enemy's people were subtly planted in the church. Did they even know they were the enemy's own? 
only God and his hosts knew. The enemy within were so subtle in their deception. Their words were sprinkled with truth. They affirmed truths about the word of God. They came and professed a desire for purity and holiness. They spoke of helping the hurting and feeding the needy. They gave lip service to the leadership. They even studied the word of God to be able to teach others. But deep within their hearts was a deceptive rejection of God and his gospel. See, they put stock in their identities. They saw themselves as the real chosen ones. Their pride was more in their ethnic identity than in Jesus Christ. Paul had taught the church their hope was in Christ alone. But the deceivers began to say, it is Jesus plus you that makes us great. This deception spread widely through the church when the apostle had moved on to spread hope to other cities. Before long, the church was in a quandary. Many said, Jesus is our hope. But others said, no, it's Jesus plus ourselves that is our salvation. Then the deception took root. People began to abandon the very hope that had saved them from sin and death. They began to put confidence in their own flesh. They said, it is because of me that I'm saved. I'm special. See, I'm the worthy one. It was at this time, word got to the Apostle Paul of the confidence in the flesh that many had embraced. They had abandoned the very gospel of hope that Paul had proclaimed to them. They were now seeking to be righteous by works. What they had started by faith, they were now seeking to do by religious works. Galatians 3 and 4. Their confidence was now in the flesh, not in the finished work of Christ. Therefore, Paul wrote them the letter to the Galatians, and it stands forever as God's holy word on this heresy. The letter was bold and direct, and it didn't leave any room for a discussion or a dialogue of some kind of compromise. Paul said with confidence, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Galatians 1, 6, 3, 1. Paul's confrontation was stern and unbending. It condemned those who had sought to deceive the sheep from the hope of the gospel. In his letter, Paul stated that those who put confidence in their religious works or identity are in fact worthy of death and condemnation forever. The letter pointed out the fallacy of putting confidence in one's religious works. He rehearsed once again the gospel of grace. He clearly announced that in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, male or female, slave or free man. Galatians 3.28 Our salvation, beloved, is not found in our gender, our ethnicity, or our status on earth. Salvation is found in Christ alone. And to say the opposite is a false gospel to be condemned. 
So 2,000 years later, as I was meditating on this amazing letter from God, I thought to myself, it is all happening again. The enemy is doing the same diabolical thing again. He's sowing discord and deception into the church. God's people are being deceived by a new false gospel, a, a gospel that is not really a gospel. It is here that I say, and it's with sadness in my heart, that even some of those I thought were so strong in the gospel have now abandoned the hope of the gospel for a false gospel. Who are they? What is their message? They are men and women. They are people of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. They have begun to make salvation about their identity and their virtue. It's so subtle, but it's wrong and from the pit of hell. Mixed with their lies is some truth. It's so grieving because instead of the joy of knowing Christ resurrected and sin forgiven, it's now, I'm worthy of salvation because of who I am? This is a lie from the devil, and it must be rejected. Friends, our identity, our experiences, our mistreatment, our bank account, our gender, our ethnicity, our fleshly desires do not determine our status with God. In our world today, the believers in Jesus are not being told, you must get circumcised or you must keep the Sabbath to be right with God. They aren't being told that they must keep the law of Moses to be right with God. Instead, they are being told, you must acknowledge that you are part of an evil system. You must be more tolerant of a person's sexual identity. You must signal your own virtue in public for all to see. You must realize your worth as a woman. All of these good deeds are just another false religious work system. This is a false gospel. The evil one and his world started this lie and now it's crept into the church. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Friends, salvation is based on repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are all sinners, male and female, rich and poor, healthy and ill, Strong and weak, black, white, yellow, and brown. Jesus didn't come into the world to save us because of our ethnicity, gender, or social status. He came into the world to save us from our sin because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And this salvation is not found in self-worth or self-determination or self-virtue. It's found when we become like little children, Matthew 18.3. When we humbly cry out, I'm unworthy, I'm a sinner, please save me. Luke 18.13.14. If salvation was based on race, Jesus would have had to come to earth as a man several times from every different race or people group. Or tribe. 
He would have had to come and die thousands of times for every tribe, tongue, and people. If salvation was based on gender, Jesus would have had to come to earth as a male and as a female to die for each gender. But Jesus came once for all. And no, it was not to die for every single person on the planet. It was to die for his own children. Those whom he chose before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 Those who were a select, gracious choice from all the world. Based on God's independent, free will choice. The vast majority of people don't find this way of salvation in Christ because few are chosen. Matthew 7.13 However, yes, there are many who believe, male and female, rich and poor, healthy and sick, single and married, and every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Jesus didn't come for the worthy ones from those groups. He came for the wretched ones. He came for the repentant ones. He came for the humble ones. He came for the ones whom he would call. He came for the ones who would acknowledge they deserved nothing but the wrath of God. He came for the ones who believed in him alone. He came for his own. The enemy is sowing discord and division in the church again today. It's all over another gospel, which is not the true gospel. God did not come to liberate us from earthly pains. Not now, at least. God came to deliver us from sin and the wrath we deserve. We must recognize that God didn't take us out of this world immediately at conversion for a reason. See, God saves the woman in a lost home so she can be a witness to her lost family. 1 Peter 3, 1-6 God saves the slave in a lost work and living environment so that he can be a witness to his lost master. 1 Peter 2, 18-20 God saves us in a lost country, under lost leaders, so we can be a witness to these lost leaders. 1 Peter 2, 13-17 God didn't take us out of these oppressive circumstances. He didn't liberate us from earthly problems. He saved us from our sin in the sin-cursed world so that he could receive glory from all people everywhere. 1 Peter 2, 11-12 We are saved aliens in this world. Think about the time our Lord came into the world. 1 Peter 2, 21-25 Think about the circumstances Jesus came to. Couldn't he have picked a better time in history especially the history of Israel, to enter the world. He didn't come when electricity was around. He didn't come when his message could be spread around the world in seconds through the Internet. He didn't come when prosperity was reigning. He didn't come to a wealthy family. 
His conditions made him a marked man by everyone until his death on a cross. His own people hated him. The government hated him. His own family and hometown hated him. His closest friends denied him. One of his closest followers betrayed him. And then he was hung on a cross and his own father judged him for other people's sin. The wrath of God, the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son of God to atone for his children's sin. This is far from a best life now situation for the Messiah. It is here I must add some important caveats because I'm sure I will be misunderstood and misrepresented if not. Women are amazing. <laughs> And they are truly a gift from God. They are image bearers along with men. Genesis 1.27 As I woke next to my wife early this morning, I was brought to tears in gratitude to God for my helpmeet that my father gave me. She is the single most loving and compassionate person I have met in this world. She is gentle and kind. And there is no one in this world I would want to raise my children with other than her. Women are a gift to men. She is my compliment in every way. But Brenda is a sinner, just like I am a sinner. I would argue I'm the bigger sinner, but the fact is she and I both deserve God's eternal wrath forever in hell. We were born sinners, and we would have died lost forever, if not for the amazing grace of God. But God saved us by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And our worth is primarily in who Christ is and who we are in Him, not our genders or even our marital status. At the same time, we don't stop being who God made us in our flesh. She is a woman made by God to be a woman. And I am a man made by God to be a man. I'm also a Caucasian man. I'm a descendant of slave owners. I'm in a long line of people on both sides who were white Anglo-Saxons. But this means absolutely nothing when it comes to my own personal salvation. Whether my forefathers are in heaven is based entirely on the sovereign choice of God. And to be honest, I'm clueless of many of them and their eternal destinies. But I am not saved because of my ethnicity or my heritage or how well I signal my virtue over my forefathers to the world. My brothers and sisters in the faith are of many different tribes, tongues, and people. I have cried with them, prayed with them, rejoiced with them, and worshipped with them for years now. I consider them more my family than much of my earthly family. We are united forever, together, in eternity, not because of our color or our culture or even our country. We are united together forever because we are sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are in Christ, 
not because of our worth, but because of his worth. Many of them will be the greatest in heaven, not because of their skin color or their economic status. They will be the greatest because they made little of themselves and much of others. Matthew 18, 5-6 In conclusion, the enemy has hatched another great deception in the churches across America. He has begun to divide us over gender, culture, and ethnicity. He has done it by introducing a new gospel, which is a false gospel. It is peddled by those who take pride in themselves and boast in the flesh. We must not fall for this deception. We are all sinners by birth and saints by rebirth. If indeed we have been born of God, we are adopted children by grace, not by our works or our identities in the flesh. We must come together for the true gospel, not come together for human exalting philosophies of the world. We must repent of virtue signaling. We must take up our crosses and follow our Savior, who came into the world to die for repentant sinners, his chosen ones. Please, friends, don't be deceived by the serpent. Don't be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, 3.